Hello and welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I'm Mitchell, he's Slim. Hello. And together we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlist all under 30 minutes or Weekend Watchlist will go away forever, for all of time, it'll never come back. <laughs> Mitchell, some personal news. You ever see those tweets, people like start to tweet out some personal news? You, I like the YouTube videos of like the apology YouTube videos oh, of people God. like explaining what happened. Yeah, it's like a thumbnail of me weeping or something on the covering my face. Coming uh, clean. <laughs> coming clean. But Weekend Watch List is going on an extended summer break. Summer vacation, you know? Whoa. To be honest, we've earned it. We have one more episode planned after this, Spider-Verse and Past Lives, a double shot next week. So after that episode drops, we're going to go head back into the Letterboxd AV department that big office that we have in New Zealand that we fly out to often and see what we can come up with for the future. There's going to be plenty going on at Letterboxd over the summer. We've got red carpets, magic hours, anniversary interviews, Tribeca Film Festival, ever heard of it? Four faves, plenty of other fun audio coming out during the summer. So keep your ears on the podcast. But Weekend Watchlist feels like, you know, it's a good time to, to take a little break. But if you've been digging this podcast, if you like Weekend Watchlist, let us know on social media and at podcast at letterbox.com. And while we're taking this break, let us know what you want to hear more of in the future from us. Is it more Weekend Watchlist? Is it something new that maybe you're not getting that you would like to hear from us in an audio capacity? Definitely throw out some options. We're brainstorming. We're thinking on, you know, what's what's out there. So let us know what you want. Maybe it's like MTV Crib style Mitchell's physical media collection. Do I do a nine hour video taking everybody piece by piece, title by title through my collection? I can do it. I'm yeah, what, are those, what are those like weird movies where it's like 15 hour movie, you know, subtitled. This is one of my favorite movies. Like we need like Tango the, or something like that. <laughs> we need the 20 hour Mitchell movie going through the collection. I'll do it. I'll do it. Make Sam just hold the camera the entire time. <laughs> so that's what people say. What are the, what's the dorky thing people say? Watch this space. Watch this space. Okay. Email us. Uh, and now on with the show this week. It's a big one. Not gonna lie to you. The Little Mermaid. You Hurt My Feelings. Reality. Last week's releases will hit up and community reviews tagged weekend watch list. There's a ton as normal. And maybe we'll shuffle our watch list or maybe just one of us might. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, for now, let's take a little swim with Rob Marshall and his new film, The Little Mermaid, on 44,000 watch lists. You know what? I'm going to read the synopsis. For all the people out there who don't know what Little Mermaid is, have never heard of it, I'm going to let them know. This film is about the youngest of King Triton's daughters, and the most defiant, Ariel, longs to find out more about the world beyond the sea. And while visiting the service, falls for the dashing Prince Eric. This movie, I've been seeing talk about The Little Mermaid live action ever since like 10 years ago. Sofia Coppola was talking about what? directing a live action Little Mermaid. Now it's in the hands of Chicago's own Chicago director. I don't know if he's from Chicago. Rob Marshall. Slim, what are, what are you hearing? What are you seeing out there about The Little Mermaid? I, I, I am going to say that I'm seeing this movie memed a lot on Twitter. You know, the, the film nerds. They're not pleased with the trailer of the movie. They're, it's too dark. It's too muddy. What's, what's going on? Uh, me personally, I can barely remember anything from the original animated movie. So I'm pretty excited to hear how this is. It's making me want to go back to watch the OG because I haven't seen it in so long. So I do see the kind of like Twitter talk. Um, but it's got a very diverse cast and the reviews that are coming in so far 
for Halle Bailey are very positive. Yeah, she's like even in like the negative reviews, like they're still singling her out as like absolutely nailing it. Mm-hmm. Zoe Rose Bryant left a review. The Little Mermaid is a live action remake that retains the heart and soul of the story we know and love. And it's elevated even further by a note perfect star making performance from Halle Bailey. She was born to be on the screen and she's why this new take is worth watching. So in, in looking at some of the reviews, you have to like kind of parse through the kind of snark a little bit, but <laughs> you can see some of that positivity shining through for, for this live action Disney remake. Yeah, Jamie's reviews said that um, it's hard not to see these remakes as cash grabs, kind of fair. So I did not expect to like this one as much as I did. Halle Bailey's voice is unreal. I can never confidently do part of your world at karaoke again. A tragedy <laughs> for all of us. Uh, Jamie also says, I'll always hate the way the CGI animals look in these movies, but that makes David Diggs' performance as Sebastian all the more impressive. He did a lot with nothing. Also, Melissa McCarthy was such a safe choice for Ursula, but she absolutely nailed it. And the character design was stunning. So a lot of praise for the cast, like across the board on the reviews for this. I'm trying mm-hmm. to see Javier Bardem as King Triton, my Lyle Lyle Crocodile main man, <laughs> Javier Bardem. You get him in a movie, I'm, I'm on board. What's your top three live action Disney remakes? Great question, Slim. Um, I, I mean, honestly, Peace Dragon, I thought was genuinely a really good movie. I feel like that's like the like, you, the like cinephile pick because it's like David Lowry and it's like uh-huh. Peach Dragon isn't as like you know on a pedestal as like these other like The Little Mermaid The Lion King where it's like it feels like there's not it's a forgotten. lot of point in doing it or whatever um, so Peach Dragon I did genuinely really like that I also thought Jungle Book was pretty good like the the CGI in Jungle Book was like really tight and a lot of the um, like voice performances in that one were really good. What about you? <laughs> you know, I'd love to give mine, but we have to move into our second movie of the week. You Hurt My Feelings from Nicole Holof Center. This is going to be in wide theater release. The synopsis honestly gives me hives. A novelist's longstanding marriage is suddenly upended when she overhears her husband give his honest reaction to her latest book. So how does that make you feel? Yeah, I, this is, um, I, I love Nicole Hollis Center. She directed movies like Walking and Talking, which I think is still my favorite of hers, like Lovely and Amazing, Please Give, Enough Sad, stuff like that. She's like a fantastic and is so good at nailing the kind of like the little bits of like acidicness in like relationships, even mm-hmm. like in relationships with the people that you love and like the, the like weird little tension that just like simmers around and like this this little bit of like resentment and like bitterness and stuff that happens, but like with love and heart and like that kind of like the kind of tension that can only exist with somebody that you have like a long relationship with. Um, and so hearing that one, she's reuniting with Julia Louis Dreyfus, who was the lead in Enough Said and was incredible in that. Like that got me hyped for this movie. And then seeing the synopsis terrified me because it is like as like somebody who writes for a living, like. M- I, that's like horrifying. Like the idea of <laughs> finding out the the real the, the real honest truth of what mm-hmm. my partner thinks. Like, thankfully, my partner does not read or listen to anything that I write, which is uh, better. I don't better in, in a way. The jury is out. The jury is out on that. <laughs> Our own editorial producer Brian Forma. I always get his title wrong in this show, but I think I might have gotten it right that time. Uh, talk to the cast. He asked Nicole about using comedy or tromedy to tell this story as opposed to straight drama. So let's hear what she had to say. I think that I couldn't help but make You Hurt My Feelings a comedy. If it was anything but a comedy, I think it would have been a big mistake. 
there's dramatic moments in it and very emotional moments in it, but it's a, you know, it's a small little piece of our world. And, um, and I guess as they say, if you can't laugh, you, you will cry. So we kind of do a bit of both. Yeah. I think I saw this movie at Sundance and it's like definitely one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Mm. And I think that it is like, it taps into those like really real relationships and emotions and like just the messiness of relationships and how like we all kind of like F each other up so much. And like you, you try to tell like white lies sometimes to like support each other. And then sometimes the real truth comes out and like how painful that is. But like we all mean well, and there's never really like a right answer because stuff's so complicated, but it's just really about like real people. But it's also, it's so funny. There's a scene with, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Michaela Watkins, who plays her sister, and Jeannie Berlin, who plays their mother. That is, like, there's only one scene with the three of them all in it together. And it's, like, the funniest shit I've seen in years. Oh like, I laughed so hard watching it. So it's it's a really funny movie, too. Funnier than 21 Jump Street? Funnier than 21 Jump Street. I'll say it here. Oh, my God. Strong words. <laughs> Strong words for Weekend Watch List. <laughs> Jordan Raup dear friend of the show from Film Stage Left Review. In a landscape that has mostly lost its taste for comedy, every Nicole Hollow Center film feels like a revelation. While she has more on her mind than just making audiences laugh, her gift for humor is undervalued, and her latest, You Hurt My Feelings, is as perceptive, insightful, and funny as her best work. So, the more high praise. Let's move on to a film that I, I'm assuming, I haven't seen it yet, but just from the synopsis, maybe doesn't have a lot of laughs in it. <laughs> no. And that's because this movie is about reality, where we're not laughing. The film is called Reality, directed by Tina Satter. It's coming out on, let's hear it, everybody, Max. It's coming out on Max. We're saying it for the first time. First time on Weekend Watch List, Max. Now, on Monday, the synopsis for this one, the truth cannot be redacted. On June 3rd, 2017, 25-year-old reality winner, returns from running errands to find two FBI agents at her home in Augusta, Georgia, an Air Force veteran and yoga instructor. Winner spends the next two hours being questioned about her work as an intelligence contractor, specifically whether she leaked a classified document about Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. Sounds very intense. What are, what are you getting? Are you, are you going to be watching reality on Max? You know, First of all, congratulations to Max on a very successful launch. They did it. It happened. I downloaded the new app. I signed in. I upgraded to 4K. You got almost 200 movies in 4K on that Max. Uh, and there's an HBO tab. This is not a paid uh, sponsorship. <laughs> Just love Max. The library is incredible. Big fans of Max. <laughs> when I saw that this was going to be on that service, I'm not saying the name again. I feel like I said it 10 times. I was excited. And I honestly like... I had forgotten about this whole thing. I didn't realize it was 2017 that this story happened. God, 2017. I can't even know. Does anyone know how many years ago that is? It feels like an eternity. But this is getting some pretty good reviews. Chris Evangelista, quote, Jesus Christ, this is so intense that I felt like I was going to throw up. Mm. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. One big thing to, to mention, too, is that reality winner is played. The lead in this movie is Sydney uh, Sweeney, who people know from Euphoria. She was also in The Voyeurs um, recently. And I mean, the, she's a great actress. And I feel like she's like one of those actors who you've been kind of, or at least me, I've been waiting for her to get like that role to really like, I think she's good in Euphoria. I'm not a crazy huge on that show, um, mm -hmm. but I think she does really good on it. And I think she was good in The Voyeurs as well. But like, I feel like, she has like a really 
sensational performance in her. And this sounds from reviews that have come in so far, sounds like this could be the one uh, where we get to really see like what she's got like inside of her. It mm-hmm. premiered at uh, the Berlin Film Festival and got great reviews. The bus has been growing. I've heard a lot of comparisons in reviews to Kitty Smith's film, The Assistant from a few oh. years ago in terms of it's like style and like it's immersiveness. And I think that's one of the best movies that has come out in the last few years. So I'm really excited for this. I love the poster too. Love the 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 mark type color, whatever the hell yeah. you call that reality on the poster is very nice. I also want to read Eli F's uh, review, who says, "I think her parents were the only ones who could be accused of committing a crime because, like, why would you name your daughter Reality Winner? Please." A lot of reviews on Letterboxd are like, "Her name really is Reality Winner." <laughs> uh, all right, let's look back at last week. Uh, Fast X dropped the big release, the biggest release of the year so far. Potentially 2.9 average right now. Very divisive film, as everyone can assume. Sanctuary, 3.7 average. Very high. Master Gardener, 3.2 average. Let's get that up. Let's get that rating up. (laughs) She'll shake in their head seeing that (laughs) for average rating. Anything you want to uh, spotlight from the previous week? Yeah, I mean, if we're on the topic of Master Gardener, I did have a conversation with my favorite director of all time, Paul Schrader. No bias. Uh, No bias on my Master Gardener rating um, for... (laughs) For Paul Schrader, but if people want, that's on Journal. If people want to give that a read, I thought it was a really good conversation. He came in, he came into the room, into the the Zoom with like um, he's like holding a mug of coffee and was like, and I was like, hey Paul, how you doing? And he was like, I was like, is this the start of the interview or like does he need a need a minute? But like once we started going, he really like very like I was nervous because he has a little bit of a reputation as a grouch, and I was so Mm -hmm. I was a little bit. I go into some of these interviews pretty intimidated, but he like pretty immediately opened up with smiling, was showing me his big old pinky ring. Um, we were having a good time talking about movies, like all like lots of movies throughout his career. Light Sleeper gets brought up, American wow. Gigolo gets brought up, obviously First Reformed and Card oh, Counter. Yeah. So uh, if people want to check out that interview, I'd appreciate check it. Check that interview out. Another another big get for Mitchell on Journal, and then the both of us chatted with uh, David Ehrlich on Four Fades. The on this biggest very- get. The, the big maybe the biggest get in Letterbox show history. <laughs> How many followers does he have? One hundred thirty thousand followers. He's yeah. like, I think he's behind Mia, but you know what can you do? Great conversation. Also, lots of um, Schrader talk. Mishima is yeah. one of his four faves for getting Sarah Marshall for people who like that film. Maybe a little movie called Titanic. I don't think Avatar comes up at all. Thankfully, Enough. stop it in the Stop in the it. conversation. <laughs> Future self pause for editing. <laughs> Cut that out. But yeah, I mean that was a really good interview. He he took the time like right before he headed off to Cannes to mm-hmm. to chat with us for a while, and I think that was a really good conversation. People are going to have a lot of fun with that one. Uh, Jack Moulton, our man on the inside, puts together the Letterbox Top 50 of 2023. He's responsible for so many popular lists on Letterboxd, and he has updated the list to see if there's any movers and shakers leaving the list. Past lives still at the top. Um, but Jack commented on that list, and this is uh, what he said, quote, Don't tell Matt Johnson. BlackBerry does well to jump up nearly to the top 10, but it's beaten to the punch by still a Michael J. Fox movie, now our highest-rated documentary of the year, and one of my personal favorites. The Eternal Memory, a doc by the Oscar-nominated director of The Mole Agent, enters the top 20, while the German film The Teacher's Lounge makes the top 30. So we'll, we'll have all these movies that we talked about in the list that is in the episode notes for folks that want to add these to their watch lists. Yeah, Jack also made a quick note on on this week's update that 
he knows he knows the Cannes Film Festival's going on. He knows y'all are waiting to see where where some of these big hitters are going to stack up. But he's just waiting to see some more ratings need to come in. You know, we don't want to jump the gun, throw mm-hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon at number one, and then, you know, 300 more ratings come in and it sinks down to number six and everybody gets mad for, for you know, <laughs> shoot, shooting off a little early. But he's he's tracking them all. Killers of the Flower Moon, Asteroid City, The Zone of Interest, they're all getting watched. They will be added if and when is appropriate. When I think of Jack updating these lists, like all the amount of lists that Jack updates, I picture like one of those old 70s computer rooms where the computer is so large that it's the entire room. There's just like random pieces of paper being printed on. He's reviewing them. Overflowing in rams. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of rams that Jack is walking over while updating these lists. Oh my God, it's, it's incorrigible. Let's dive in to our favorite section of the podcast, the the watch list shuffle, where we talk about every week we shuffle, we get a we get a film, we watch the film, we talk about it, we track what other people are watching and talking about. What did you get last time you were on, Slim? I got a, a an odd pick, one that I just added to my watch list. I got it like right away, Casualties of War from Brian De Palma, 1989. Quote, even in war, murder is murder. Um so true. Um, is Brian De Palma, Vietnam, Michael J. Fox, and Sean Penn. It just feels like watching it, it felt surreal seeing a De Palma movie. Like when you watch a De Palma movie, I feel like you you know like visually that it's a De Palma movie and you get that in this location, which was like mind boggling to me. I guess I had forgotten or didn't know that this movie even existed. So the storyline is just as unsettling as the war itself. Sean Penn leads this little group on a mission. Sean Penn is just, playing the most evil character, obviously. Um, And they kidnap a young girl from one of the villages and take her hostage. And they just like keep her in tow the whole time. And Michael J. Fox's character is very conflicted about this. You know, should I stop this? How much can I step in without like being murdered probably by the rest of this little mini group? So that's the brunt of the story. Um, It's based on a true story. So it's hard to watch. And the main thing I just... I don't know. I never hear, maybe in just in my circles, but I never hear people talk about this movie. Like a De Palma Vietnam movie, just, it feels almost like it's from a different universe to me. Yeah, I think I watched it when I was like a teenager and like just kind of going through, I don't know, maybe I had just watched Platoon or whatever and was mm-hmm. like like that era of like Vietnam, like Born on the Fourth of July was around that time too. Good Morning Vietnam was also like a very different tonal movie, yeah. but like still around that time too. Um, so I think I just watched it in that without knowing who, like De Palma was yet or really having seen too many of his movies. And it is like quite uh, an unexpected move for him, like in that to go in that like environment and that kind of subject matter from Mm -hmm. what, you know, De Palma as, and like now knowing much more about him and seeing like pretty much all of his movies, like it feels like a bit of an oddity. Um, And it feels a little bit like some stuff maybe hasn't aged like super well, but it's also, I mean, it's, right. it's, it's a tough movie to watch. It's for a sure. tough watch for sure. I see you gave it three stars. That's what I gave it. Yeah. Um, right after I was done watching it on HBO max. Now max, it is like, <laughs> do you want to watch platoon? Can you imagine watching back to back casualties of war going right into platoon? Like <sighs> max, calm down. Give me, give me a day or two to <laughs> just re- rejuvenate myself like, mentally. How about come and see next? Why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what did you shuffle last time you were on? 
I last time I was on, I got a big one. We're debt um, number one hundred one on the Letterbox Top Two Fifty. Wow! This is a, a Danish film from the fifties from director Carl Theodore Dreyer about a Danish family on a farm where a widowed father has. Uh, he's living with his three sons, all of whom have like wildly opposing faiths. One son shares his father's like devout religious beliefs. One is completely atheist, and the other. The other just goes whole hog and literally believes he's the reincarnation of Jesus Christ oh. and like is walking around like, hey, I'm I'm Jesus Christ. Like, I'm Jesus Christ. I don't know why you don't believe me. Um, and I mean, it's a really interesting movie. It's like I started watching it like after a very long day at like midnight. And so I was like not in the right headspace uh, for this kind of movie. So like I, it was, it was taking me a little bit of time to get into it, but like a half an hour or so in, I realized that I was like so invested and just really sucked in like with these characters. It's formally like very minimalist. A lot of reviews on Letterboxd mention it as being like a pinnacle example of mise-en-scene, but thematically it's very like maximalist in tackling these questions around faith and madness and love and even as somebody who's like i'm not religious at all i found it's probing a faith and how it can like mm. unite and divide us like really really compelling the same way that a lot of like bergman movies like winter light is like a movie that's specifically about like christianity and everything but and i'm not religious at all but like i am obsessed with that movie um so i think i mean i think it is worth the hype for sure mm. i don't see a log for this i haven't logged diary it. i'm gonna be honest slim i'm like 10 films behind on logging. Oh my gosh. I, I have like a notes a notes app on my phone, like tracking all of the movies that I watch because sometimes I'm a, I'm a busy, I'm a busy lad. I, I can't, I can't keep up. I'm trying to review. <laughs> You're hobnobbing with Paul Schrader. You don't got time to log these movies anymore. I'll catch up. I'm, I'm taking a, I'm taking a little staycation next week. I'll catch up. It's, the staycation is primarily so I can catch up on my letterbox. This is logs. like when Millhouse walks by Bart's uh, rock star uh, dressing room in that fantasy and Bart is like passed out at Millhouse like you used to be about the music man that's me, that's me I'm to so, you I'm so hardcore about the movies that I'm I'm watching so many of them I can't keep up with the logs you're too hardcore for letterboxed is what you're saying <laughs> that's it, that's exactly it I can't how am I supposed to how am I supposed to letterbox when I'm out here watching movies that's right alright so we have some community reviews tagged weekend watch list a lot as as usual would love to cycle through those reviews to see what people are watching I feel like you might like this one Alexandria watch River's Edge Crispin Glover and Dennis Hopper are the chaotic cocktail I didn't ask for but desperately needed one of the best movies ever made I love anytime any episode of We Can Watch Some On has to have a Dennis Hopper required, required mention. I'm literally, this is a, an audio medium, but underneath the hoodie that I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing my River's Edge shirt. So great. We have no great way to verify that. No great way to verify that. <laughs> I want to, I want to read Gary's review of Targets, which just came out on uh, Criterion Ooh. recently on Blu-ray. A time capsule of the growing dread in the late 1960s that horrifyingly only became more relevant and constant with each passing decade. Peter Bogdanovich came out the gate swinging with an indictment disguised as a tribute to horror movies. Slim, have you seen Targets? I love Targets. Targets knocked my movie. socks off when Targets I watched it. Targets is, for me, um, I saw Targets after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to me feels almost like a direct riff on like Targets, and I think Targets is a much better movie. So mm. if you if you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's kind of commentary on like 
the changing themes of Hollywood, uh, I definitely recommend people checking out Targets. God, I gave five stars at Targets. I want to I wanna give it a rewatch with this Criterion too because I think it can, like I, I think I gave it like three and a half, maybe four. And oh. I definitely want it. I think it's going to go higher though. You might not, this is an audio medium, but you might not know this. I'm wearing my Targets tee <laughs> under this hoodie. <laughs> no way to verify it. Oh, he's, he's showing me the tee. He's showing me the tee, people. It is Targets. <laughs> All right, let's see. Some other reviews. Ben watched Out of Sight. That also feels like a Mitchell Fave movie. I'm not sure. It, five, stars. five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Quote, Michael Keaton's hairline needs to be included on the R rating. Horrifying. I love Michael Keaton's hairline. There's just something poetic about Michael Keaton's hairline that has stayed the same for so many decades. I love it. I love somebody who leans into the hairline too and just, just owns it. You don't need the plugs. You don't need yeah. to, you know, it looks great. And I... I mean, my favorite thing about, or not my favorite thing, but one of the things that I love about Out of Sight is the fact that, like, Keaton's coming back playing literally the same character that he played in Jackie Brown. And, like, how many, like, you don't get that anymore. You get, like, the big MCU crossovers, whatever. But, uh-huh. like, just these, like, little pulp crime movies having, yeah. like, one character who transfers over into another one. They, like, make a deal between the studios to make that happen. Nobody's doing that anymore. Bring that stuff back. God, can you imagine Michael Keaton's four faves? Or like recent, recently watched for? Or recent watch would be really interesting. That would be wild to hear. It's probably watching Herbie Fully Loaded again. <laughs> it's on the constant loop. <laughs> All right, we should probably shuffle our own watch lists again. Well, to be clear, only myself will be shuffling. Mitchell- ta- taking a break. I'm not shuffling. I'm not shuffling. Strong words again from Mitchell. So I'm going to go to my watch list. It's Mia and myself next week for Into the Spider-Verse. Also, spoilers, I think I have a screening invite to Into the Spider-Verse, so I will have seen it. As of this recording, Mia's already seen it, so I think we're going to get some conversation and more elaborate thoughts from both of you on past lives. Elaborating on your little condo. A nice little tease from you guys last week on past lives. What a picture. Uh, so I'm going to go to my service. I'm going to filter by stream only. It'd be funny if I only streamed Max to celebrate the launch of Max. Actually, you know what? Let do me it. do that. Let's do it. I'm going to Max only. To, I got nine films on Max right Uh-oh. now on my shuffle. watch list. Shuffle those my nine. God, this is quite a nine. Watch all nine before next all week. All right, let's shuffle. Oh my word. This was mentioned on a Four Faves episode with Ariella, Woman at War. 2018. Wow. Hala is a choir teacher. She's also a saboteur. Declares a one-woman war on the local aluminum industry. She's prepared to risk everything to protect the pristine Icelandic highlands she loves until an orphan unexpectedly enters her life. So Ariel actually referenced this in our conversation as one of the inspirations for uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. So I added this to my watch list in that conversation, and now it's time. I also appreciate the uh, English pronunciation of aluminum. <laughs> you know I'm going to take the most trollish pronunciation of a word that I can get. And, and I'll I say, I I, I, Mia coming for the Delco accent with the, the Mario last week. She attacked me <laughs> based on my Mario pronunciation. Did I say Mario? I think you, said, I was... you said Mario. Oh, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember how I pronounced it now. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. Just don't forget, we're going on summer break. We're taking a summer vacation and you can follow Mitchell, Mia, 
Slim, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterboxd using the links in our episode notes. And if you so choose, shoot us an email. Let us know what you think about Weekend Watchlist and uh, potential future projects at podcast at letterboxd.com. Thanks to our crew and thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Wallen for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening, Weekend Watchlist is and forever will be a Tape Deck production.